Welcome to Maui. And on behalf of the Oceanside Palace Hotel, here are your complimentary ladies. Thank you, young man. I am so excited to be here. You know what we call a short life here in Hawaii? Aloha. <laughs> we are here for the luau, young man, and not for dumb jokes. Yes, we are people of influence, so if you don't mind, take us to our table. For sure, dudes. Right this way. Wow, there's a lot of people here for the luau. Yep, and come check out the pool later. I'm also the lifeguard. Is the pool safe for diving? Well, it depends. <laughs> Why he thinks he's funny is a mystery to me. Mm, me too.
Please join us and stand as we worship together. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to
nothing compares to the promise that he gives us in his word and who he is. Lord, we come and worship you this morning. We love you. Sing with us. I love you. Joy, my King, let's sing that again. morning. This morning's uh, subject's pretty uh, personal in one sense because it's really the charge that the Lord has given me in my life and um, not quite sure how you're going to hear all this today but I think for the young people there's some considerations um, if you're sitting in the sanctuary today, I assume you have an expectation for anyone who stands behind this pulpit. That you expect them to open God's word and you expect them to preach it. I would think. Um, and it begs the question, why are you here? You know, why do you come on a Sunday? You know, is it for fellowship, well, that's good. Is it to sing songs of praise and worship? That's good, too. Should it be that the central focus of any church is the preaching and teaching of the Word of God? <laughs> Without apology. Even when you're uncomfortable. Even when I'm uncomfortable because you're staring at me. Young people, you're going to make a decision when you graduate from high school and go to work or go to college or whatever that looks like for you, and you're going to make a really big decision and decide who you're going to marry and spend your life with. And then you're going to make a decision about where you're going to go to church. That's going to happen. And you're going to have to decide how you determine that. How do you end up at the church you'll attend? Whether it's Grace or 
any other church up and down the road? How, how do you determine that? You know, people make those decisions all the time. They are determining where they will go to church. It's been interesting to me that post-COVID, a lot of people are making those decisions. That's a whole other discussion. But the reality is this, that you've decided to be here at least today. <laughs> so your expectation is that the one who stands behind this lectern will preach the Word of God. I know that's the expectation the elders have. I know that's the expectation the deacons have. I'm quite certain it's the expectation the Lord has. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. And that's all that matters. Because at the end of the day, I am going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account for how I handled his word. Imagine that. But every teacher, according to James chapter 3, verse 1, will give an account. That's, that ought to bring about some fear and trepidation. Not only from a teacher's perspective, but from your perspective in the audience. Unless you've come to be entertained, which I'm not a really... They're not paying me to entertain you. You've come to the wrong place. Every once in a while I might entertain you with like a verb or a pronoun or something like that. Imagine if you're Timothy receiving this letter. Just for a minute, let's put our, ourselves in his sandals. His mentor is about to be martyred. And he says to Timothy in chapter 4 verse 2 preach the word in other words do the very same thing that got me where I'm at <laughs> that's what he's telling him he's not offering him a vacation plan he's not saying go to Disney World he's saying Timothy preach the word I want to publicly thank the Lord for the men who invested in my life at Southeastern Bible College who taught me to preach the word without apology. Faithful men. That's what Paul was looking for in Timothy because he was about to die. As he puts it in chapter 4, he was about to depart. Boy, I can't wait till we get to that. That's what it is. It's a departure. And as he writes in Philippians, it's very much better to be with the Lord. J. Dwight Pentecost said, The great need across evangelicalism is the exposition of the scriptures. He was at Dallas Seminary a long time. Teacher, author, theologian. He says, I sense there is a departure from that. Now, this wasn't written yesterday. He was at Dallas Seminary like some 60 years. If I remember right, he went to be with the Lord about 2014. He said, I sense there is a departure from that even amongst some of our own grads. And he was at Dallas Seminary. 
who are entertaining the people, giving the people what they want. Whereas we are called to preach the word. And by the way, the temptation to entertain people is real. Because for a pastor, he looks out in the audience and he says, well, they're here today. And then he comes a week later, oh, they're not here today. Oh, well, they're back, they're here today. And the next week, you're like, well, they're not here today. And the next week comes up, well, they're not here. Well, it must have been something I said. That happens. As sure as you're sitting in those seats, that happens. Pentecost went on to write, it is the word that is the power of God to salvation. It is the word that is the power for Christian living. Do you believe that? <laughs> in other words, the word of God is sufficient for everything in my life. You know, that's been challenged this last year or so. You believe that? Do you believe it's all sufficient? It's okay to say amen. It is the word, he says, that is the power for Christian living and should be the center of ministry. It may not be popular. Boy, and if I'm taking a survey, probably not. It may not build mega churches, but it will fulfill that to which the Lord has called every pastor to do. That's pretty strong stuff. How about that? You agree with that? In this section, this outline is kind of simple. It's the way I put it. Verses 1 and 2, he says, preach it. Verses 3 and 4, he tells you why you should preach it. So he tells Timothy, you got to preach. And then he tells him why he needs to preach the word. Let's pray. Lord, I'm not quite certain how I'd respond if I was sitting in the audience today. But my mind and my focus has to be not what do the people think, but what do you think? God, you know my heart. I love these people. I know some of them really well, and some of them I don't know too well at all. But if I really love them, Really, that I'm going to give them the truth. And so with your help, that's what I'll attempt to do today. And I pray that it would move us. Lord, that your spirit would work in our hearts and lives and convince us even more that it is your word. That's what we need. And all this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. The term preach means to herald. That's kind of a weird word, right? And I'm not talking about to herald like a man's name. 
It means to herald or to proclaim. And in Paul's day, kings had official messengers called heralds. You say, well, what do they do? They would travel to cities and they would travel to towns proclaiming the king's presence or proclaiming official laws and decrees of the king. You say, well, how much freedom did the herald have with the words of the king? None. How does that sound? The herald spoke with the king's authority, but he could not negotiate nor change the decree one bit. He could not alter one word. He could not add to it. He could not take away from it. Does that sound like familiar language to you? Yes, it does. Shake it. Yes, it does. In the book of the Revelation, in the context of the book of the Revelation, in that particular section, obviously its primary um, focus was on that particular letter. But there is greater focus as well that one who declares God's word is not to add to or to take away from let me ask you a question that happened today all across the United States of America it happens well I don't really like what God says here that's just too harsh my people are not going to listen. So I've got to make it sound better. You know, that's robbery. That's robbery. You're robbing people of what God has said. <laughs> Who does man think that he is? So, knowing that that was the charge of a herald. Paul uses that term to say, hey, Timothy, your responsibility is to preach the word. Don't go to the right or to the left. You stand right in the center. You stand on the truth. You stand on what got me where I'm at. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's funny to me. I don't know if it's funny. That's crazy. But as we're going to find out in that next little section, man, you know what Paul's mind was? I'm going to finish the course. Finishing what God's given me. Let's look at the content of this. He says, preach it, first of all, knowing there is accountability. There's accountability? There's accountability. First of all, he tells Timothy in verse 1, he says, you're being watched. And then he says, you're being judged. Look what it says, verse 1. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Now that can be translated, even Christ Jesus. And some translations have that. You know what Paul's doing here with the Lord Jesus Christ, just in this one little verse? He's affirming the deity of the Lord. <laughs> 
You remember what Jesus told the religious leaders? They were so thrilled about it when he said, I and the Father are one. Paul is affirming that here. He says, Timothy, you're being watched. I have a question for you to think about. Are pastors more concerned today about the earthly audience or the heavenly one? You say, well, Thad, you need to be concerned about me. I am, but not first. I guess if I was considering you first, I'd have been gone long ago. Right? Any pastor would be like, what are you doing? Go drive a truck. You're being watched, Timothy, and you're being watched by the Lord. And not only this, Timothy, but you're being watched by the Lord who will judge you. Ugh, look what that says. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. I believe here he's talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right before the kingdom is ushered in and he rules and he reigns for a thousand years on the earth and there's a judgment there it's it's talked about in the book of matthew the gospel of matthew it's the separation of the sheeps and the goats and it's the determination of who will enter into the kingdom the thousand year reign of christ you say what about the church well the church has already been judged the church has been judged at the bema seat in heaven after the rapture because I want you thinking you're escaping judgment. I've got good news for you. We're not. The great news is what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. When he wrote to the church at Rome and he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. Aren't you thrilled about that? Yeah, hey, that was good. But I think Paul's point to Timothy is simple. Those things are true and those things will take place. But judgment's a part of that. We will be judged. And although we won't be judged to condemnation, Timothy, we will be judged. And so with all that in mind, he says, preach the word. <laughs> well, now, if you're Timothy, you're going, okay, there's a lot of weight there. Man, i got to consider this. Notice he doesn't just say, chapter 4, verse 1, preach the word, but there's weight there. And the weight is this, the Lord's watching you, Timothy. Do we hide anything from the Lord? No. We don't even hide our intentions from the Lord. Hey, Timothy, the Lord is watching you. And hey, Timothy, that same Lord is going to judge you. Because just as John 5 says, all judgment has been given to who? The Son. But I will say, as a personal testimony, I am so thankful I am not going to be judged to condemnation. And it's all because of the righteousness of Christ. Man, this is just a lot of good stuff here. Well, he says, preach it knowing there is accountability. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But then he says, preach it knowing there are expectations. 
Notice what he says, chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Notice the centrality of his message is preach the word. It's like this light that's just going off. But notice he doesn't just say preach. There are a lot of people who preach. There are a lot of people who preach. But the question is, who is preaching the word? All of it. Not skipping around. You know, like, you know, these, the people today just aren't really going to like me talking about sexual sin, so I'm just skipping that. Does a pastor have the right to do that? Say it with me. No. Do pastors skip around today? All the time. They want you to like them. Well, gee, you know, you're like, Thad, you're not human. Well, yeah, I want you to like me. But if that's my primary concern, you need to hire somebody else. I sat under preaching for years before I was called to do that myself. And I'm going to ask the Lord one day how that happened. But anyway, I, I, before I came to that point where I, I'm doing that, every man that I've sat under, no exceptions, preached the word. They all had different personalities and different ways of doing it. I mean, Brother Lane, when I first started out as a little guy, thus saith the Lord. It's like, whoa, man, I'm doing what this dude says. And then I had Don Barrett, and Don was a little more, uh, he was a storyteller, and he could weave things in and out, and I was like, man, that dude is so good. And then the worst part is Don could, at the end of the message, after he weaved it all in and out, and it was perfect, and you were like, man, that was awesome, he would sing. He was a great singer. I don't do that, by the way. <laughs> it's Jim's last day. His last day. <laughs> And I moved to Birmingham, and I sat under Mickey Park for a little bit. <laughs> I got to tell you the story real quick. There was a guy one time that was introducing Mickey, and we were at a, like a pastor's thing, and he just said Mickey. I was like, dude, you better know him. And he was like 20 years younger, and I was like, that's not Mickey, that's Mr. Parks, Reverend Parks. He preached the word. I sat under George Marange. You know. He preached the word. I've been a blessed man to sit under people who preach the word. The word is central. That doesn't mean there aren't jokes, and that doesn't mean there aren't funny stories. But that can't be the central focus. So he says to Timothy, preach the word. And then he says, here's the expectation. Be ready in season and out of season. That's kind of a weird phrase but it was a the, the term be ready was a military term so just as a soldier you expect is always on the ready that's exactly what Paul's saying to Timothy here you always be ready in other words there's no season of respite in your life Timothy you're always ready 
Because when you walk in the door at a church, Timothy, and you're visiting, they say, hey, Timothy, you available? No, I'm on vacation today. No, you're available. Always. Remember at Southeastern, we were taught to keep three in our Bible. <laughs> they didn't mean three dollars. They meant three messages. Always be ready. What does that mean? That means a pastor has to do what? Feed his soul. And that's where this is right, see? Because you remember back in chapter 3, verse 14, what did he tell him? You continue in the things you have learned. So what's he saying? You need nourishment. So, so the expectation was to be ready all the time. Chuck Swindoll wrote this about that phrase. A pastor must be ready at all times and in every circumstance. Like there's a lot of different circumstances that I'm not sure you're aware of that go on. Can I tell you a couple for pastors? Sometimes you walk into a hospital and somebody might say, hey, would you go see that person? Well, I don't do that. Well, no, you do that. That's what you do, Right? I mean, I've been asked to go see people I do not know. I've been asked to do funerals of people I do not know. You say, well, you do that? Do you mind? I don't mind at all. You know why I don't mind at all? When I walk through a hospital room, I can demonstrate that I know Christ. You say, how do you do that? I pray with those people. You say, yeah, but you don't know them. I pray with those people. I've had yet, not one person has ever told me, hey, I don't want you to pray with me. I remember one time I was up at Medical Center East, and one of the, that's when it was called Medical Center East, and, and one of the nurses said, hey, Thad, um, can you go in this room over here? And I said, sure. Who am I going to see? She said, this lady's been in here for two months or so, and she hadn't had anybody go in that I've seen. What am I going to say? Well, no. <laughs> no, I'm going to get a taco. I mean, no. You don't ever say I'm going down to the cafeteria at a hospital. always ready always ready and so I went in there and I spent time with the lady and we prayed I mean I forget her face I gotta tell you this I walked in and I said how you doing today she said who are you (laughs) oh my goodness there's a lot of things that go on in the ministry This is certainly a huge part of it. There's a lot of things that go on that people just don't know. I've always told people I'm available anytime. And I'm telling you right now, anytime. You call me three in the morning, give me five minutes to wake up, and I'll be there. Pastor must be ready at all times, Swindoll says, and in every circumstance, when it's convenient, when it's not convenient. When the crowds are large, or when there are only a few, when affirmed and loved, listen to this, or when criticized, he is to be on the job no matter what. Say criticized, it happens. It happens. But the Lord gets you through those times, and he's the only one that can. I can promise you that. So he tells him 
you have expectations in front of you. And then you have responsibilities is the third thing he tells him. Look at verse 2. Preach the word, be ready in season, out of season. <laughs> now look, these next words, I mean, if you're Timothy, you got to be going, dude, this is not getting any easier at all. Because he says, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience. And that, that's the attitude, patience. Okay? And I'll tell you right now, sure as I'm standing right here, and my name is Thad Blunt, you better have patience in the ministry. You better find something to do. Do what you do. My pastor used to tell me to write people's names on golf balls and then just go out and play golf. <laughs> I know what you're thinking right now. Thad, have you written my name on a golf ball? <laughs> There's a few of you in the woods. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know if I'll be able to get on track now. There's criticism in the ministry. People don't always want to hear reproof and rebuke. Right? You're not going, hey, reprove and rebuke today. I mean, you can come here going, hey, yeah. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy to go do with the Word. Because the Word does what? It reproves and it rebukes. So don't tag it on the dude that's transmitting the information. I'm just telling you what God says. And that's the greatest thing. The greatest protection for every pastor is it's not your opinion. It's the book. So if God says, hey, do this, well, I'm just telling you what he said. But if you're Timothy and you know where Paul is and it's just like, man. The word reprove means to bring to light. We kind of talked a little bit about that. It's this for the pastor. He's pointing out the truth of God's word. He's bringing to the table what needs to be said. I mean, when you sit down at a table and somebody tells you, hey, look, we're going to have steak, potatoes, and salad, and then we're going to have apple pie for dessert, well, what are you expecting? All of it. Have you ever asked me over for a steak? I want it well done. <laughs> that hadn't happened too much, so, you know. Well, you say reproof. You know, that happened in the history of Israel <laughs> a few times. In the book of Lamentations, which you might not have been to recently, it says this. To Israel, how shall I admonish you? To what shall I compare you? This is Lamentations 2, 3, 13 and 14. O daughter of Zion, for your ruin is as vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets, listen to what the prophets did. Your prophets have seen for you false and foolish visions. And they have not exposed... Your iniquity so as to restore you from captivity. But they have seen for you false and misleading oracles. Oracles there in the Hebrew meaning entertaining stories. <laughs> what did the prophets need to do? They needed to expose what? The sin. 
You know what reproof and rebuke do? They expose our lives. They expose the right and they expose the wrong. The word rebuke is a serious term. It, it has the idea of warning. And, and there are several passages in the Bible where God warns us, correct? Now, why is he warning us? Because he loves us. There is a warning. You don't need to turn there. I won't be here very long, I don't think. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a warning. Now, you need to go home and think about this warning. Okay, you can do that after you eat steak, potatoes, and salad. Doesn't that sound really good? Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Is that a suggestion? No. He says, For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? He's warning them about being bound together with unbelievers. A lot of times people use this particular text to talk about marriage. But it extends beyond that. But it is important, young people, that you are marrying someone who is like-minded. So there are times in the Bible of reproof, and there are times in the Bible of rebuke. There's also times when there should be exhortation, he says. He says, reprove, rebuke, exhort. And then he tells them what the attitude's to be. It's to be with patience. And the action on the part of the pastor is to be with instruction. The word exhortation is very, very important. This is one that um, involves your life a good bit. Opportunities exist for you to exhort. Now, if you're just thinking about that term, that sounds kind of harsh. And there are times when exhortation is difficult. But the word itself, this is the picture of the word. The word exhort means to come alongside someone. You say, well, Thad, they might not have invited me into my life. But you know what? It's okay. You walk beside them. Believers are to walk beside believers. You agree with that? Because there are times when believers are hurting. Yes? And what do you do when you walk beside a believer who is hurting? Look, dude, you just need to get better. Grin and bear it. Right? No. There's times that you need to walk beside a believer that you know is hurting and do what? Sometimes just walk beside him. How about that? And not say a thing. But sometimes it's walk beside them, and, and maybe the Lord gives you, because I believe when you're walking alongside believers, there needs to be this mindset before you start walking alongside them, Lord, help me by your Spirit to know if I'm to say anything, and if I am, I need to know from your Word how I can encourage them. Does that make sense? Because words are not always needed. And so the idea of exhortation means to come alongside 
one who's discouraged, one who's suffering, maybe who, one who has anxiety. And then you're thinking, right, and, and this is where it's hard, because if you're walking along someone and they say, man, I've been really anxious about something, and your response is, it'll be okay. Well, I know you're anxious. That's fine. Well, no, it's not fine. See, that's where, like, for me in my flesh, like, when somebody says, well, I'm really anxious, well, I have to say, well, does that, is that what God wants for us? Answer? Answer? So, I'm walking beside this person, they say, that I'm anxious, and I'm like, okay, yeah, and then that, and I'm listen, listening with compassion, but at the same time, I have to think, Lord, is there anything I need to say to this person from your word that can help them? That's where it's hard. You know, one of those times is in the Bible, right before the second missionary journey, when Paul and Barnabas split up. Remember that? And John Mark had walked out during the first missionary journey, and Paul was like, done with that. And Barnabas was like, not done with that. And so he walks beside him, doesn't he? And Paul goes with Silas. He said, what's the outcome? Ha <laughs> ha, isn't it cool? It's right in the same letter. Chapter 4, verse 11, only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in the service. I love that. Because you know what happens lots of times? Lots of times you don't have people come in there and fill the gap. And someone's just left. So, there's times for reproof. Times for rebuke. Paul says to Timothy, and hey, Timothy, there's times for exhortation. Well, then he says, preach it knowing a few things. Preach it because of verses 3 and 4. Look what it says. He says, preach it for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So, hey, Timothy, preach the word and this is the reason you need to do that because there'll come a point of no toleration. When's that going to happen? We're there for sure. You say, well, how do you know we're there? It's a good question. Why has the time arrived? It's certainly there. Paul's even warning Timothy about that. Well, people are walking away from sound doctrine. That's what Paul says. They will walk away from sound doctrine. Here's an example of that. You know, I just don't like that church down the street because, man, they just think there's one way to God. By the way, we're that church down the street. Because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You agree with that? Well, try next door and next door and see what happens. He says the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. There won't be any toleration for the truth. That's kind of how I see it. Just like, you know, real quick commercial. 
You know what your kids need from you? The truth. You know what your kids need from you? The truth. Scriptures tell us the truth sets us what? Free. Paul knew that too. He says in Acts 20 when he's talking to the Ephesian elders at Miletus, I did not fail to declare the whole counsel of God. Hands clean. You don't want sound doctrine? Well, you can go out there and find that. It's out there. You don't even have to look very far. Paul says to Timothy, there will be no toleration for sound doctrine. And then he says, there will be a gathering together. And by the way, there's effort in this. That's what struck me. I'm like, there's effort in this. That's what he says. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled... They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Kenneth Wiest, in explaining the phrase, wanting to have their ears tickled, wrote this. This person desires to hear a message for mere gratification. They are the type who continually want something new. They don't want the same old thing. Listen to me right now. We are living in that time. Well, this is what the Word says. Well, I know. I don't want to hear that. Isn't there something else? Not for the believer, there's not. The word accumulate means to put into piles. (laughs) I, I, I was laughing when I was studying. I was like, I just envisioned all these piles of teachers that are willing to just give in and say, you know what, I want to be liked by men so much, I'm just going to throw away the truth. And you know what, there's lots of them in piles today. There are a lot of men in piles. So he says, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. By the way, just for your, this is one of my nerd moments. This is present tense. You know what that means? They continue to accumulate for themselves. See, it's like a club. You know, and they're throwing all these teachers on a pile. And they're going to go see these guys because these guys are going to tell them what they want to hear. You know what people want to hear today in churches? I'm free to do what I want to do. That's the message of today. Sounds like a message of the past, doesn't it? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So it says, accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Oh! Oh yeah, I forgot it was all about them. And how is that illustrated? Well, if they don't like a church's position on abortion, find a church that lines up with their belief. Are there churches out there that don't protect the unborn behind the pulpit? Yep. Stay away from those churches. Young people, I'm pointing over to you. 
the church doesn't like, if a person sitting in an audience doesn't like the church's position on, position on sexual sin, well, I don't like that they talk about sexual sin at that church. Bye. Because God's already talked about it. See? It's like we're making up something to some people. I think, oh, they're just making this up. Well, no, God's already said it. God's already said that marriage is between who? Say that again. A man and a woman, period. The end. Well, but you have pastors out there, they say, no, you know, ain't that, it's the 21st century. Haven't you caught up? That's just nonsense. That's what that is, nonsense. I don't know if I've ever said nonsense from the pulpit before. There'll be a gathering together, he says, that will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. Then lastly, there will be movement. Preach it because there's going to be movement, Timothy. Notice what it says. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. By the way, that word turn away there, it, it expresses intentional effort. In other words, see ya. Have you ever been dumbfounded by a person? <laughs> Don't look at me and go, yeah, I've been dumbfounded by you. I'm talking about other people. Those other golf balls, right? So, have you ever looked at a person's stance on something that's very clear biblically and said, what are they doing? Any of you ever done that? I've only done it about a thousand times. Listen to me. It's not popular to stand on marriage between one man and one woman. And it is not popular to discuss sexual sin of any kind. And it's not popular to say, hey, no abortion. But you're going to stand on what side? The side of man or on the word of God? Well, you know what? All day long with both hands, if I could get my legs up here, I would. I can't do it. All day long I'm standing on the word. You know why? Because God says to. It's that simple. He said they will turn their ears away from the truth. They will turn aside to myths. You know what we need to do as a church? Pray for pastors. You can pray for me. I appreciate that. But I'm talking about praying for pastors. Pastors who come up behind a lectern like this and open this book. Some of them don't even open a book. I can't imagine that. Like if I would have been in George's homiletics class and come behind a, a, a lectern one day and said, all right, hey guys, let's talk about the Razorbacks today. And I never said anything else. I'd be in trouble, right, George? Maybe if I talked about the Tigers, I wouldn't have been in so much trouble. 
Man, Lord, I just can't thank you enough for the men in my life. I got a couple of questions and a story, and I'll let you go home. Why do professing Christians turn away from sound doctrine? Think about that. I didn't write any answers down. <laughs> you can do that this afternoon. By the way, when you do that, go buy you a dozen golf balls because you'll start naming people on there. Second question, why is truth de-emphasized in the church today? We know the Lord tells us all these things are going to go on. We know, right, we know we're not marching to a state of utopia here in the United States and around the world, don't we? One of the disappointments, and I'm just going to be honest about something with you just because I've thought about it several times. One of the disappointments that I have had as I've gotten, gotten older in the Lord, because I've come to a settled position in my mind, is that um, I, I just struggle with people who aren't focused on eternity. I struggle with that. Now, I used to be over here where I wasn't thinking about that a whole lot, but I'm like, you know, hey, look, when the tent's folded up and I'm with the Lord, that's very much better. Maybe heaven ought to be talked about a little more in churches. Maybe hell ought to be talked about a little bit more in churches. You know, when Brother Lane, who was that guy, was talking about it, you need to, yes, sir. Man, he preached the gospel. And you know what he was faithful to do? If you reject Jesus Christ, you are going to be in hell for eternity. Imagine getting behind a pulpit today besides this one and going into a church and say, look, if you reject Jesus Christ, you're spending eternity in hell. Man, they'd be out quicker than you can count to ten. Last question. Why should we continue in the word? Well, I can give you the answer to that. The Lord says so. I wanted to end with this illustration. This is a great illustration. Powerful story. And it illustrates the power of the word. You guys have heard of C.H. Spurgeon. Spurgeon was asked to speak on October 7th, 1857. That was a couple of minutes ago. He was asked to preach to his largest audience that he had ever had over 23,000 people. They were assembled in the Mammoth Crystal Palace for a national day of fasting and prayer. And a few days before the event, Spurgeon went to test out the acoustics. So he steps into the pulpit and he lifts up his voice and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He probably said it much better than that. But he said it. Satisfied with the acoustics, he left and went his way. Unknown to him, there were two men working in the rafters of that large auditorium. Neither one Christians. One of the men was pricked in his conscience by the verse Spurgeon quoted and became a believer later that day. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? There's power in the word. 
Let's not fail to preach it. And let's not fail to teach it. Let's pray. Well, Lord, um, thank you for this letter. I just want to thank you for um, your word, the sufficiency of your word. I wonder how many of us in this room would sign a piece of paper that would say, I believe in the all-sufficiency of the Word of God. Lord, I thank you that it has in, in it the, all that I need for life and godliness. Lord, I think of our young people today and all the mixed messages and you know, they're here on Sunday and they hear this guy talking about you and the word and the importance of standing on the truth. And, and then all week long they're met with just a bunch of lies, honestly. And I'm sure it's hard for them to kind of discern at times. And so I pray for them and I pray for their families. I pray for wisdom that comes from you. Wisdom that comes from your word. Remind these parents to be led through your word. And please remind us, Lord, each day, each and every day, remind us to feed our souls so that we might be men and women who are ready to give an answer to anyone who asks for the hope that is in us. All this I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Please sing with me as we close out today. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When I feel afraid and I think I've lost my way, still you're there right beside me. Nothing will I fear as long as you are near. Please be near me to the end. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will not forget your love for me, and yet my heart forever is wandering. Jesus, be my guide and hold me to your side. I will love you to the end. Thy word 
is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's a light unto my She's in here, bud. She's right over here. And Katie, you want to stand? There's Katie. <laughs> and she's leaving to move, and uh, we certainly have enjoyed having her here. Amen. It's been a blessing to us, and, and we pray for you as the Lord leads you there. Pray you'll find a church that uh, stands on the Word of God. All right. wanted to make mention um, this morning uh, of our men's fellowship tomorrow night at 6.30. Uh, John Burnett, the man in yellow, you can't miss him right down here. He's going to be sp our speaker, and uh, the Lord has really um, done a mighty work in John's life over the last several years. He's going to share that testimony and all the things that the Lord's been teaching him. And uh, men, I encourage you to come and to be a part of this, and um, just to hear testimony of the faithfulness of God. And um, so, uh, Jerry Peterson asked me if you guys could please sign up as you leave today. The sign-up sheet's right outside there in the, the uh, foyer just to sign uh, on the dotted line so we'll know how many steaks to cook. No, it's not steaks. I, I thought Jerry maybe mentioned the steak. You know, I don't know, but it didn't change, did it? We're having hamburgers, great hamburgers and hot dogs. So you guys come for fellowship and, and to hear what the Lord's doing in John's life. So uh, tomorrow night at 6.30, okay? Why don't we uh, stand and, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we do thank you that your word guides us and leads us. And Father, we thank you that we have the full revelation, your full love letter to us. We know the end. We know who is coming. <laughs> and we're thankful, Lord. I pray we would live in expectation of that. And um, Lord, I just want to uh, this morning thank you for Katie. And, uh, Lord, I just, um, I pray for her, Lord, as, as she moves. And, Lord, I pray for just safety and um, all the things that go with moving. I just pray that everything would get done that needs to be. And, and Lord, we pray for our sister that, Lord, um, um, you'd be able to help her to find a place to, to worship uh, with
with other believers who are like-minded, who can encourage her and she can encourage them. And we just thank you for her presence among us. And Lord, we, uh, we certainly remember her mom. And uh, just thank you, Lord, to know that she's in your presence. And that one day, Lord, all of us who are, who are in you, who know you, we're going to be in your presence and seeing you face to face in all your glory and for an eternity praising your name. And I know people think, that's going to get old. It's never going to get old. Praising the one who died for us. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you that one day I'll be in your presence. And I pray until then, Lord, you'd help me to be a faithful man who declares your word. I pray for your help, the Holy Spirit that lives in me. Lord, we just ask that you would help us to be faithful servants of you as we live until uh, you come for us. And all these things we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. You're dismissed.